Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. Asia-Pacific markets are trading primarily in the red this morning as unease about inflation, interest rates and Omicron temper investor sentiment. Tokyo is down more than half a percent. So is Sydney. Seoul is bucking the trend, though. The Kospi is trading marginally higher. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is Kyle Roder, joining us live from Australia. He's an analyst with IG. Kyle, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. U.S. markets face a broad wave of selling yesterday uh, in the session overnight, but about of late selling tempered the losses. The Dow finished down a bit less than half percent. The S&P 500 finished marginally lower. The Nasdaq eked out again. Still, the three major indices are all in the red for the year, and the S&P 500 is off to its worst start in more than five years. So, Kyle, are you heartened at all by the fact that buyers stepped back into the market overnight? And is it possible that we've now seen the worst of the sell? or is it just a lull? I think it's probably just a lull at the moment. I mean, I don't think we're going to see the market really settle down until we get greater clarity on what Fed policy will be in the first quarter. And then I think the real spanner in the works in the last week has really been the prospect that, you know, the Fed really does seem to be seriously considering quantitative tightening. And there's, you know, I guess a, a bit of a debate going on right now as to when they'll begin that process of, you know, you know, unwinding the, the balance sheet and, you know, selling treasuries back to the market. So, you know, really what we're seeing now is, is bond market driven volatility where we're seeing that pick up a lot in treasuries. You know, clearly we're seeing that manifest in, um, you know, uh, well, it didn't happen quite so much last night, but we're generally speaking, a real lift in long-term rates. That's pressuring duration. It's pressuring the broader stock market. So I don't think given the fact that we've got CPI coming up this week, PPI, you know, um, the power being sworn in, that that's necessarily an issue that subsided. Mm-hmm. Uh, but perhaps, you know, last night we did see the, uh, you know, market sort of ingrown, ingrained DNA by the dip sort of coming through a little bit. And, and that was perhaps what drove the, the market into sort of neutral territory by the end of the session. I'm probably asking all our analysts this today. Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo says the U.S. markets are in for, quote, a cathartic upchuck. And he sees the S&P 500 dropping 10% in the first half of the year. What do you think? I mean, that's certainly possible. If you, if you look at other, you know, um, similar periods in history, you look at the taper tantrum and then you look at the, you know, long way from neutral um, period in the end of 2018 where, you know, um, Powell Fed was really sort of adamant on, on hiking interest rates and, and, and unwinding the balance sheet quite aggressively. You know, we did see stocks in, at the end of 2018, you know, drop almost 20%, so almost into a technical bear market. Um, and of course, in the taper tantrum, we saw, a, you know, sort of a 10 to 15% uh, drop in the S&P 500 as well. So, you know, there's certainly that... Um, sense that risk could be skewed to the downside as markets position for, you know, potentially much more aggressive Fed policy. And, you know, given the fact that liquidity and momentum has been such a significant driver between keeping, um, you know, stock prices elevated, valuations elevated, um, if we can, you know, continue to see this trend where the, the Fed is now taking inflation seriously, inflation remains elevated, and um, that becomes, you know, the, the key um, objective of, of, of the US Federal Reserve, um, then, a, then a, you know, broader correction in, in equity prices is, you know, certainly on the cards. So analysts are generally expecting this to be a bumpy year for equities. We're still only one week into the year, though. Another 51 to go. So let me ask you this, Kyle. Overall, are you bullish or bearish when it comes to 2022 and why? 
Well, I remain bearish for the, for the first part of it anyway, just because I still think there is a level of attraction in equities compared to bond markets. Um, you know, it's very difficult to predict in this environment, you know, and a lot of strategists on Wall Street were suggesting that, you know, really the one thing that we can be sure of is, is a heightened volatility compared to last year because markets will have to be, you know, differ, uh, discounting, um, you know, a slower growth environment potentially combined with, you know, a Fed that's going to be hiking into uh, hiking rates into that and tapering its balance sheet. But, mm. I mean, I think it does come down to, to flow and yields and there does seem to be uh, a historical precedent where stocks continue to rise um, into into a Fed tightening cycle. However, you know, it's it's completely unknown to everyone where that pressure point exists, where, um, you know, policy becomes too tight, the outlook becomes too grim um, and equities start to turn around. So, you know, in the, in the very short term, we say in the next few months and quarters, I think this, the trend still skewed to the upside. Um, but, you know, in this market, there, there is the high risk that, you know, the Fed could come out with, you know, continued hawkish surprises. Um, and that's going to be something that, you know, keeps investors on their toes. And I think, um, you know, we will see this kind of periodic uh, drawdowns in, in, in equities, um, you know, in response to probably, you know, the, the, the hot data that comes through as well as, you know, commentary and, and Fed meetings that suggest tighter policy. You touched on this briefly. Let's talk a little about what markets are turning their attention to this evening. U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, as he testifies before the U.S. Senate in a confirmation hearing for his reappointment. Um, in a statement prior to tonight's testimony, Powell writes that the post-pandemic economy is, quote, likely to be different in some respects and that the Fed will need to take this into account in its policy. So what do you think he means by that? And how might the post-pandemic economy be different and how will that impact Fed policy, particularly as he has been signalling a tightening of credit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there's probably two ways that I would interpret that. There's a cyclical factor and a structural factor. And mm-hmm. I think the cyclical factor is that, you know, we're probably moving away, at least in the short term, from this disinflationary environment where, um, you know, the, the, the battle for the Fed since the GFC was, you know, to try and get inflation anywhere between two, uh, to, towards 2%. Um, and that, you know, there seemed to be infinite capacity in the labour market where wages just wouldn't rise. Mm-hmm. It would certainly seem that there, there is some kind of trend at the moment, um, at least being uh, cyclical in nature, where inflation has the capacity to overshoot and the Fed will have to return its concern to, you know, potentially making sure that, um, you know, inflation is, is not only um, at, ta- uh, at target, uh, but it doesn't overshoot target too considerably. Um, in terms of the structural trends, I think it's going to be the, the, the real... Um, Change in labour market dynamics and, and um, trade in global, um, sorry, change in global trade relations uh, right. and trade dynamics that will be very significant. You know, the, the, the notion of onshoring will be something that's reasonably significant, uh, where you know um, companies will try and make sure that their supply chains are far more resilient. Uh, that means potentially lower global trade. Um, you know, a, a greater um, sort of nationalism when it comes to, to economic policy, which could mean um, you know um, these sorts of, sort of supply side disruptions that we've you know kind of gotten used to. Uh, since the start of the pandemic um, might be more normalised. And that will mean much more volatility in, in inflation. It'll mean much more volatility in growth and potentially the return of, you know, potentially boom-bust dynamics as policymakers try and navigate much more unstable um, and disrupted economic environments. So for me, you know, maybe I'm projecting on power a little bit my own personal beliefs, but I think that's probably um, some of the things that will be different in the new economy compared to the one that was, you know, prevailed pre-pandemic. Interesting. One more question about the US before we move on, Kyle. JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said, says he thinks that the U.S. economy is headed for its best performance in decades. He points to higher consumer spending and lower debt. What do you think? Do you agree that 2022 could be a banner year for the U.S. economy? Because a positive year there is generally good for all of us. 
Uh, yes, certainly. I mean, my, my intuition was that it would probably not be quite as strong going forward, and, and I think that's been fleshed out by, you know, growth forecasts that are a little bit weaker than what we got in 2020 and 2021. Mm. We're seeing a lot less stimulus coming through, and I think we'll probably start to see um, consumer behaviour return to, to long-term trends. I mean, for example, if you look at retail sales um, compared to, you know, its, its multi-decade trend in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, it's well above where it's, um, you know, it, it would have been implied to have been before the pandemic in terms of that trend, and I think that will have to review somewhat but you know in saying that though it's a very compelling argument that um, you know Diamond put across because effectively he did say that it was because of you know household balance sheets being so robust that they will have the capacity to spend and that should have you know some kind of virtual cycle and set off the animal spirits in the US economy mm-hmm. for me uh, the best growth in decades seems about a little bit hyperbolic mm-hmm. um, but uh, in saying that though it's, it, it does seem to be that at least for 2022 there are still robust growth conditions in the United States. Yeah, I mean, to, to add a little color, Jamie Dimon is bullish on the U.S. economy for 2022, but he's also cautioned that it could be a turbulent year for equities. I want to bring the conversation to Singapore, Kyle. The Straits Times Index is up more than 3% since the start of the year. It is outperforming all of the major U.S. indices, which are in the red, and outperforming Tokyo, Seoul and Sydney. Why do you think that is? Well, my sense is that, well, in terms of the U.S. and and uh, just specifically the U.S., it's a, it's a um, compositional issue of, of the index and, and the market itself. And I think there is that sort of growth to um, value story that's playing out mm-hmm. uh, globally that's, that's weighing on U.S. equities and perhaps benefiting Asian equities as well, mm-hmm. um, specifically, you know, Singaporean stocks. Um, I think there's also the element of that kind of, you know, slowly easing into to Asia and great, getting greater exposure to Asia and trying to find exposure to Asia in, in areas that are in developed markets that are advanced and um, can you know, provide some kind of exposure to that, you know, I suppose, resurgent Chinese growth story that everyone is starting to kind of ease into a little bit um, and, and put their money into a little bit, although doing so cautiously because of volatility in global financial markets, financial conditions being uh, a little bit, um, I suppose, um, weaker than they were in the past. And, you know, there's still, you know, prevailing concerns about what, you know, Chinese policy will look like in the year ahead. So, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, a real reflection of that both value, uh, growth to value trade, as well as that sort of bet on China, um, that we're seeing Singapore, you know, outperform relative to the US and then, you know, outperforming relative to, to some Asian markets. Last year, we saw investors plowing into our STI during the first few months of the year, and then trade became range bound. Do you think we might be in the process of history repeating itself here? Or is there a stronger case to be made at this time for Singapore stocks for the full year? I think that there's a stronger case to make just because we have seen underperformance in the region um, for the better part of six to nine months. And I think what happened last year was very much similar to, the, um, to, to what's occurring now in the sense that we saw the markets pricing a lot of strong um, economic growth. We, we saw the sort of Chinese growth story um, very much um, coming towards its end, but it was still positive to kick off the year. And then what really shifted was clearly the, the, the change in attitude towards um, Asian assets um, and this notion that perhaps, you know, the, the best of the economic um, rebound had been priced in um, and that things were going to be a little subdued for, for most of 2021. Um, we saw that, again, like you said, in a range-bound, um, you know, Singaporean market. We also saw the ASX 200, for example, just to draw the parallel um, to, 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 to my local market, um, more or less trade flat for the last six months of the year or only struck slightly positive. So I think things are looking a little bit, a little bit more um, optimistic this time around because of um, valuations are very, very low and I think there is this desire to, to allocate to areas in the market that have um, underperformed in the last six to 12 months. And again, a part of that's the Chinese growth story. So I think that um, this time around compared to last year is a little bit more positive, um, you know, notwithstanding what happens with, with, with the Chinese economy going forward.
He's IG's Kyle Roda. Next up, I'd like to take uh, your take, actually, take a sense of the pulse of your take on several different markets and asset classes, Kyle, as we look to the rest of the trading year. So you're joining us from Sydney. What is the view like on Aussie stocks? I mean, will this be a good year for the ASX 200? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there is a lot of tailwinds for the ATX 200 because a little bit like I was alluding to before, one thing that really weighed on our market at the back end of last year was an underperformance in um, the, the miners, and that was because iron ore prices crashed from you know 200 plus dollars per ton down to as low as 80 or 90 dollars per ton. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see that reverse a little bit now. Miners are starting to pick up, and you know if we do continue to see this kind of pick up in China's economy, this um, rotation from from growth to value again globally, you know we've got um, a high allocation or a high concentration of banks, miners, and energy stocks in the ASX 200, which could, you know, at least lead to something of a pickup in, in our market um, uh, locally going to the first six months of this year. So I think there are some considerable tailwinds. Obviously, market sentiment will, will be very interesting because if Wall Street starts to drop because of the tide of Fed, and that's going to bleed through other global markets. Um, but I think that the outlook for the ASX 200 is stronger for the next six months than, mm. than, than what has been for the last six months. You touched on this briefly, but what about Asian markets in general? I mean, do you expect them to continue tracking the U.S. or are we likely to see more funds moving into emerging markets? I think there will be a play more into into um, allocations into, into Asian assets and, and Asian equities in particular, just because it looks like we've got a again, like I said before, a Chinese um, economy that's going to be um, reasonably well supported. We're probably going to see greater liquidity pumped in and, and um, looser monetary policy in, in um, China, so that's going to drive flows into into I think Chinese equities. Um, and if you look at from a valuation perspective, there is still I think the overall desire to be allocated to stocks, despite the fact that we are seeing higher rates for at least for time being. Um, and if you look at the under performers and where you know value could be potentially found in a very richly valued global equity market. It's probably more in Asia than anywhere else. So I think that we're starting to see investors kind of lean into that Asian, uh, Asian um, uh, growth story, that kind of Chinese rebound story. Um, and I, I believe that that will continue to get, uh, gather momentum uh, going into the first part of this year. But with the Fed expected to raise interest rates several times this year, four times, many analysts say that should be good for the US dollar unless the gains are already baked in. What do you think? I think we'll still continue to see flow into the US dollar. I think positioning is very, very um, long the dollar at the moment. So we could see some kind of technical, um, you know, pullback, especially, you know, as we've seen in the last couple of days against the euro, um, which has been, you know, fairly beaten up over the last 12 months or so. But I think, you know, if you do look at where the, the policy settings are at the moment, um, the Fed looks like it's going to be out in front in, in tightening monetary policy for the most part. The US dollar, still, sorry, the US economy still seems to be the, the much stronger economy in, in developed markets. Um, and if global financial conditions start to tighten, uh, it means a, a relative shortage on US dollars and there's always going to be that natural demand for, for, for the US dollar as a, as a haven and also obviously as a um, you know, tool for payment and, and what have you as well. So I think you know, the, the trend high, uh, for, the, for the US dollar will remain to the upside, uh, although I think in the short term we could see a little bit of a pullback just on the basis that um, positioning has been quite stretched um, for, the, for the dollar to the, um, to the long side. Closer to home, some currency analysts say the Japanese yen, uh, which is often seen as a safe haven currency, could have a bullish year ahead, Kyle. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, for me, it depends on the inflationary environment. It depends on energy markets um, and it depends on policy across the globe because, you know, really, if you if you track the correlation of the yen um, over the last 12 months, it's basically just been a proxy for the US 10-year yield. And if you're of the belief that the US 10-year can continue to climb higher, at least in the in the short to medium term on the basis that, you know, the US economy is running hot and the, the taper is about to begin, then that removes the, the kind of appeal for me for the, for the Japanese yen, which has also been, you know, if you look at the, the 10-year yield, also been very highly driven by this kind of resurgent, um, you know, price of 
oil across the globe, which obviously is off its highs, but still remains fairly robust and, and is probably trending higher and expected to move slightly higher going forward. So, you know, for me in the short term, the yield story means the Japanese yen isn't attractive. It's when I think we start to really get some concerns about the future growth outlook, and this will be, I think, something that comes up later in the year when growth starts to turn lower and there's a concern that the Fed might have over-tightened, over mm-hmm. that we'll see the Japanese yen outperform. Uh, but in the short term uh, and medium term, again, the, the yield story says to me that the Japanese yen should remain out of favour, um, at least while, you know, the Fed is tightening and, and growth is, is stable enough in, in the um, global US and, and global economy. Finally, a tough one for many analysts, Bitcoin. It is off to its worst annual start ever. So it did below 40,000 US dollars a token overnight. It did rally back a little bit. It's currently trading a bit shy of 42,000 US dollars from a technical threshold. 40K is seen as pivotal. So what do you think? Is this going to be a bearish year for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? It's hard to call. Or will Bitcoin head to that $100,000 mark as major bulls predict? Yeah, I don't know if this year is going to be the best one for Bitcoin just on the basis that it does trade like a risk asset and it does tend to be quite sensitive to Fed liquidity and Fed policy. So for me, the, the, this, you know, the, the move in Bitcoin in the last week or so has been symptomatic for the market, pricing in tighter financial conditions globally, less liquidity and higher long-term rates, um, and then obviously being shaken around a fair bit by the, the volatility we've seen in stocks. So you know, there's a, there's a number of bull cases in the long term for, for Bitcoin and there's a lot of you know, bull cases for, for having Bitcoin in your portfolio. However, if you look over the performance of 2020, I don't think the fundamentals are lining up particularly well for Bitcoin. And finally, Kyle, I have a non-markets question for you because you're joining us from Australia. And so I have to touch on Novak Djokovic's Aussie visa problems. So for the listener, the world's number one ranked tennis player has won a court case to remain in Australia where he's hoping to defend his Australian Open title. But immigration officials say he could still be deported. Bloomberg is calling this the Djokovic debacle. What is the mood like on the ground, Kyle? Would Australians like to see Djokovic stay or go? I think the mood is fairly split. It's been a really divisive issue, actually. And if you listen to um, the people that I could hear on the street outside my apartment in Melbourne CBD last night, I could hear the calls of free Djokovic, um, you know, echoing down the uh, the CBD. So wow. there's certainly enough people out there and try and see this man uh, get his freedom, I suppose. But, you know, for me, I think the, the real sentiment is that people don't particularly like him as, a, as an individual, but they don't like the government particularly much either and, and their administrative failures over the last two years either. So it's kind of the lesser of two evils to have Novak come in, I think, and... Um, you know, play plays best tennis and at least entertain us after a, a tough couple of years in uh, in what's been you know a series of lockdowns uh, in in Australia. <laughs> that was a tough one. Uh, thanks for giving us uh, you know a sense of the background. Let's check in on the local markets now, Kyle. We are uh, 23 minutes into the local trading day. The STI finished in the green for the third straight session yesterday, rising 0.7 percent to 32.27 this morning. Let's check it out. It is adding to those gains at 0.13 of a percent to 32.31. This is Market View with me, Kyle Roda, live from Australia. He's an analyst with IG. Thanks so much, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Before acting on the information. On Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.